Hey everybody out there in podcast land, welcome into the latest edition of Sports Frenzy 2.0. I am the maestro, Kevin Crane. I am solo this week. The Conquistador, Dave Height, will join me again next week. So you're going to have to put up with me ranting and raving solo on my own, which I'll still fill up hour and a half. No worries, no problem. Plus, Football, 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 fantasy stuff. Look back at our picks from last week. Look forward to our picks for next week. Got it all for you. So the first segment will be all NFL football. Thank God the fans are back. We're back. Let's look at week one. Of course, we have to start with the pathetic performance of the Chicago Bears. They lost to the Rams on Sunday night football, 34-14. So many things you can look at with this game. A prediction I made that came true, at least for one week. It looks like it's going to carry through through most of the season. Matthew Stafford fits what Sean McVay wants to do. I took Matthew Stafford as my backup quarterback on my sports frenzy fantasy football team because I knew he was going to put up great numbers. And he did against the Bears. Now, is that going to hold up down the road? As we get into what we saw in week one, again, one week, usually we need three or four weeks to really figure out who's really good, who just had one great week, who's a fraud, who are for real, which teams are for real. We know the Bears aren't. We know the Bears are not for real. The Bears are easily one of the four or five worst teams in the NFL. We saw that on Sunday night. Can I pull positives out of this game? Sure. I liked the the ball control. I liked how David Montgomery fought and run ran the ball. He ran for over 100 yards. He's a tough kid. He was one of those picks that Ryan Pace made that I loved. He was one of the picks that made me stick with Ryan Pace longer than I probably should have, longer than most other people did. Andy Dalton did not play bad. Andy Dalton did what he had to do. He got the ball out quickly against a tough pass rush with Aaron Donald. He had the one pick. That was a rough one. The tip ball as they were driving for a touchdown. Um... But again, it comes down to Matt Nagy. Matt Nagy is not a good coach. God help me if somebody else next year decides to hire him as a head coach. The NFL is so stupid. These teams are so stupid in how they recycle these coaches. Look look at the Jets. Not right now with Rob Sala. I mean, obviously, he's one game in. But look at before with Adam Gase. Miami Dolphins fans, the conquistador, 
could tell you. Gase was a train wreck. Yet somehow he convinced the Jets he was worthy of a second try, a second shot. Adam Gase was an awful head coach, yet he got years and years between two teams, the Dolphins and the Jets. God help any of us, all of us, whoever gets Matt Nagy again. This guy is an idiot. Why did he go for it on fourth down so many times in bad situations with bad field position? I understand the defense is not what it used to be. The secondary was awful. Matt Stafford was just throwing balls down the field at random. Bears were trying to put together 12, 13, 15, 20 play drives. Rams had three, four, five, six play drives because the Bears defense is not what it used to be. The front seven did the best they could. Khalil Mack a couple times at least pushed Matthew Stafford up in the pocket. Akeem Hicks got in the backfield a couple times, but that wasn't good enough because the secondary was terrible. I still want to know how Ryan Pace botched the books to the point where they had to let Kyle Fuller go. The Bears look terrible. Who in the NFL are they going to play right now that is going to let them play that clock possession type of game that's not going to have an offense on the other side that can run up and down the field like the Rams did? Jacksonville? Houston, maybe the Jets, outside of those three. The the Lions actually look like they could go up and down the field on the Bears. Now, the Lions don't have a defense. But come on. I mean, realistically, are we looking at three or four wins for this Bears team? And I don't care if you put Justin Fields in. Nagy's going to ruin him. Nagy is going to ruin Justin Fields. I honestly think right now I'd prefer keep Dalton out there the whole year. Or Foles. Put Foles out there. I hate Nick Foles. I wish they could have traded him, but nobody wants him. And I don't care. No, There's not going to be a catastrophic injury out there where somebody's going to offer a seventh or a sixth round pick for Nick Foles given the contract he's got. So put Nick Foles out there. Make him earn his money. I I really think the one thing that Nagy supposedly wants to do with Fields that's true, where he where his predecessor, John Fox, botched it with Mitch Trubisky, was let him sit for a full year. Because you are going to destroy this kid's confidence. I heard a lot of people on many, many different NFL shows talking about don't put this kid out there with that offensive line. He's going to have a David Carr situation 
where he's going to get beat up to the point where he's going to lose all of his faith, all of his confidence, and he is going to be a shot fighter before he even has a chance to become great. And I agree with that. I do. Throw this year in the trash, Bears fans. Just get used to it. If they, if if Nagy and and Pace think they can do anything with this team, they are so wrong. They created this mess. They should just deal with it, live with it, lie in the bed they made, let the next regime come in, and at least give Bears fans hope. And that means keeping Justin Fields as far away from this train wreck as humanly possible. Let him learn what little he can from the idiot known as Matt Nagy with his trick plays and going forward on fourth down all the time because he's already desperate in week one to save his job. Other teams we follow. The Conquistador follows the Dolphins. The Dolphins get an impressive win in Foxborough, 17-16, over the Patriots. When I say impressive, I'm not, oh boy, I don't know how to put this. You you can't say it's not impressive to go into Foxborough and beat the Patriots. I think Belichick has got this team already reset, ready to go. Mac Jones looked good. He looks like he's going to be a, a good, solid game manager for the first year, which I think is what Belichick wants. If it wasn't for the Damian Harris fumble late, Patriots probably would have pulled this one out. I don't think the Dolphins are as good as everyone has been led to believe. Brian Flores, I think, is a great head coach. I'd take him on the Bears in a second. He just he doesn't have the right personnel on offense. I don't think Tua is going to end up being a great quarterback. He doesn't have a great running back. That's been a a problem with the Dolphins for decades as they can't seem to find a great running back. Receivers? Eh. Okay, Jalen Waddle did okay in his first game. Gesicki, who's supposed to be a great tight end, I, I don't think I saw him catch a single pass in the first game. I think this was a fluke. I think New England's going to end up being pretty good. I think the Dolphins might be looking at trying to get another quarterback next year. Not Deshaun Watson, but we'll see. My Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Thursday night football beat the Cowboys. Yes, there were some troubling signs. You know, I know they brought back all the starters. Everybody praises them for that. In the Cowboys, I knew the Cowboys weren't going to be a pushover. That offense is too good. The Bucks defense might be a little overrated, but my God, Tom Brady just keeps doing it and doing it and doing it. And we'll get to uh, Aaron Rodgers here in a minute. Maybe he could learn a thing or 15 from Tom Brady about maturity, how to act, discipline, 
when you're the leader of a team, when you're the quarterback of a high-profile team. Tom Brady is the GOAT. I used to think it was Dan Marino or John Elway. I went back and forth on those two. Peyton Manning was in the conversation. No. Tom Brady is the GOAT. Big injuries this week, especially again for the 49ers. Last year, they suffered through massive amounts of injuries, and already they have lost Raheem Mostert for the year. They have lost Jason Verrett for the year. One week in, one week in. Shanahan's got to be sitting there going, "What? who did I kill? What did I do to deserve this? They still were able to pull out a win against the Lions, but they let up 33 points to that Detroit team. They let down big time in the second half. So questions for the 49ers, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Have them in picks in a couple minutes to see how everybody thinks they're going to do against the Eagles, who were a surprise, who actually put up a great game, probably the most surprising game of week one. The Falcons are a train wreck, okay? The Falcons, I don't understand what's wrong with the Falcons. A Super Bowl hangover shouldn't last this long. I know Matt Ryan's better than this. I know he's better than this. But they just can't seem to put together any type of a defense. That goes on the front office. The front office has failed Matt Ryan in terms of trying to get a defense, a competitive defense on the field to help him out. I'm not exonerating Matt Ryan. He's underachieved the last couple years. They gave him the stud tight end, Kyle Pitts. They got the cancer out of there, Julio Jones, who we'll talk about here in a second, with the Titans. So now Calvin Ridley steps in as a number one. But again, they just never seem to get the pieces right when they need to all at the same time. And this was an embarrassing home loss to the Eagles. 32-6 final. Not getting any easier. Buccaneers this coming weekend. Other games to talk about from last week's slate. Steelers pull off a big win in Buffalo. So much for that Super Bowl pick, Maestro. Wow. The Bills shit the bed. Our entire panel picked them, and our entire panel was wrong. Steelers defense is for real. I picked them in fantasy last year as soon as I could. Figured this year, no Bud Dupree. Maybe I have to wait a little bit for a defense. I got the Bucks defense. Eh, so far. 
Steelers defense still looks really good. Really good. Now you got to wonder, Josh Allen signs a big contract. Is Sean McDermott really that good of a head coach? I know I'm jumping the gun here, and we'll get to our picks for this coming weekend in a second with another big game for the Bills. But this was a big loss for the Bills. This was the type of game a Super Bowl contending team should have won. And they failed miserably. Bengals beat the Vikings in overtime. I predicted this one. I don't like the Vikings, not just because they're in the North in the NFC with my Bears. I don't like the I don't like Kirk Cousins. I used to. I I obviously he was a better pick when when Mike Shanahan had to choose between Griffin and Cousins. He picked both in the draft. And he eventually ended up going with Cousins, and so did the next regime. Griffin's already pretty much out of the league. He's probably on a bench somewhere that I'm not aware of. Cousins was the better pick. I'm not going to rip on Shanahan for that. But I wonder what has gone on over the years here with Kirk Cousins to make him such a fruity nut job. With the vaccination stuff, he just... He doesn't seem to want to be a leader. He will put up decent numbers, but he doesn't seem to want to be a leader. He doesn't seem to want to be a winner. I think he's just giddy over the fact that he's been able to sucker all these teams into all this guaranteed money over and over and over on these short-term deals, these three-year deals, these one-year deals. He's played everybody, kids. Kirk Cousins has played the Vikings. He played the Redskins. He's played everybody. He's not that good of a quarterback. Cardinals go into Tennessee and shock the Titans. 38-13. This one blew me away. Again, another one. Clean sweep. All of us were wrong on the panel. All of us. We thought Titans, better head coach, better system, better discipline. They brought in Julio Jones. <laughs> Did that turn out? So far, week one, nightmare for Mike Vrabel. Kyler Murray, Cliff Kingsbury, got it together. 38-13, Cardinals beat the Titans. Shocking in Tennessee. Now you got to wonder, the Titans, we're going to get to this in a second. Titans got a big game coming up now in Seattle. Are they going 0-2? That would be a big, big hole for them to dig out of. Although in their division, not insurmountable. Chargers, tough game against Washington. I thought the Washington football team could pull this off with their defense. Justin Herbert. The L.A. Chargers proved to be just a little bit tougher. Of course, Ryan Fitzpatrick gets hurt. He's out for a while now. Looks like probably half the season with a hip injury. 
Good start for the Chargers. They've got a tough one coming up as they open SoFi Stadium for them. Of course, they share it with the Rams. Panthers beat the Jets 19-14. Sam Darnold gets a little bit of redemption. Who cares? I don't think either one of these teams are going anywhere. Texans shock the Jaguars. In my opinion, 37-21. Texans look much better than we thought they were going to. Jaguars looked about what we expected. Of course, Urban Meyer's already causing problems. Supposedly, the rumors are nobody likes him. Nobody likes his personality. Who couldn't see this coming? Chiefs, Browns. Chiefs win 33-29. Browns choke a game where they were dominating the Chiefs. Punter botches a late snap slash punt. Turns into a disaster. The Browns basically hand the game to the Chiefs. The Browns are going to have to learn how to win these type of games. Otherwise, they are not going to be anything more than a wild card team who gets knocked out in the first or second round of the playoffs. And I still don't trust Baker Mayfield. And of course, Odell Beckham Jr. didn't show up again because he's hurt again. And now already the word is he's not going to play week two. Saints destroy the Packers in Jacksonville. Thank God somebody knocked Aaron Rodgers around and shut him up week one. I am tired of the melodrama surrounding Mr. Man Bun. I'm sick of him, not just again because he is a division rival. He's an asshole. He's an idiot. He's an egotistical maniac. And he's already causing problems, just like we talked about with Julio Jones with the Titans. Mike Vrabel's sick of Julio Jones after one week, and I'll bet you Matt LaFleur is sick of Aaron Rodgers already. The Packers will bounce back. You know they will. But this was a big wake-up call for Mr. Man Bun. Broncos beat the Giants. I don't know what this says about the Giants. 27-13, I thought the Giants would win this game. Should have listened to Vegas. Vegas had Denver favored by a couple points with Teddy Bridgewater, who I don't trust. Well, I guess I should have trusted him more than Daniel Jones and that weak-ass Giants team. That's going to be another huge regime change if the Giants can't get these these players straightened out. They got a Thursday night game coming up tomorrow night at Washington. They better win that game. If they go 0-2, there's going to be a lot of New York press ripping into Dave Gettleman, Joe Judge, and that entire Giants regime. And finally, an awesome Monday night football game on the 13th overtime. Raiders beat the Ravens 33-27. Unfreaking believable game unbelievable game it shows it all i'm going to say before we get to our picks for this week it shows me lamar jackson is not as great as everybody thinks he is again he makes mistakes crucial mistakes when he can't and it shows Derek carr is not as bad as you think he is he will go long stretches like the first quarter 
in that game where he does not look good and he will bounce back. He is a smart guy. He will figure it out, especially with Darren Waller, the most underrated tight end of the last 10 years. All right, our pro picks for week two. As I mentioned, tomorrow night, the Giants at the Redskins. Oops, geez. Kevin, what are you doing? It's not the Redskins anymore. The Washington football team. Blah, 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 blah. Seven of our eight panelists have their picks in. We got five picks for Washington, two for the Giants, like I said earlier. I don't know how good the Giants are. I don't know if they can pull this off. With Heineke quarterbacking the Redskins, he looked good in the playoffs last year when they played Tampa Bay. I'm going with Washington. I thought they were going to win last week. I don't see Washington going 0-2 with Ron Rivera at head coach with that defense. They've got enough skill position players, and the Giants just look lost again. Give me Washington. Saints at Panthers. Six of our seven picks from our panel members in right now are taking the Saints. So am I. Too impressive last week. There could be a letdown, but I don't think the Panthers are good enough to overcome even a Saints team playing mediocre football right now. Bengals at Bears, tough one. But again, six of our our seven panel members who've got their picks in now are taking the Bengals, as I am. The Bengals played a very controlled, concise, solid game on offense. Bears don't know. They look like they don't know what they're doing. Joe Burrow should be fine with three stud receivers, a stud running back, a questionable Bears defense. The Bengals should be able to beat the Bears, even at Soldier Field. And the Bears' misery continues. Rams at Colts. I didn't see enough from the Colts last week to make me believe that they can beat the Rams. It's a tough one-two punch for the for the Colts to go from Seattle, who looked sharp, to the Rams, who looked sharp. Car- Carson Wentz didn't do anything necessarily wrong in his first game as Colts quarterback but he doesn't look as explosive or dynamic as he did years ago with the Eagles when he was headed for the MVP. And I don't think the Colts have got enough weapons around him. That receiving core is weak. Give me the Rams. Again, six of seven of the panelists go with me. Rams. Bills visiting Miami. Take on the Dolphins. Everybody, all seven of our picks that are in right now, the Bills aren't going 0-2. Sorry, they're just not. Miami didn't look that impressive in Foxborough. They look good, not great. The Bills are going to come back with a vengeance. Both teams will be 1-1 one one when this one is done. 49ers and Eagles, much more interesting game than you thought it would have been. This one, we're four and three right now. Four 49ers picks, three Eagles picks. I'm taking the Niners. Nick Sirianni, am I supposed to really buy into this guy? 
he's got to show me a little bit more. So does Jalen Hurts. I'll take the known commodity, which is the 49ers, even with the injuries. 49ers beat the Eagles in Philly. Raiders at Steelers. We've got five Steelers picks, two Raiders picks. I'm taking the Steelers. They impressed me last week. They're at home. The Raiders don't have that home crowd in Vegas now. Short week for them. Go with the Steelers. Cowboys at Chargers. I'm picking the upset. Right now our panel is split 4-3. Four Chargers, three Cowboys. I take the Cowboys. I don't see the Cowboys going 0-2. It's a brutal start to the schedule. Somehow the Cowboys will win a shootout with the L.A. Chargers. Titans at Seahawks. Everybody's taking the Seahawks. The Titans just looked so brutal. I think the Titans go 0-2. I do. The Julio Jones cancer thing with, with Vrabel. Bad, bad karma for that team right now. Finally, Chiefs at Ravens. Six Chiefs picks, one Ravens. It is in Baltimore. Again, another brutal start this time for the Chiefs and the Ravens both, if you look at it. Tough start, first two games for both teams. I'm not going against Pat Mahomes after what I saw down against the Browns. Sorry, he's magic. Lamar Jackson will make another crucial mistake. That's it for segment one. Next up, segment two will be college football. A look back and a look ahead. Stay tuned, kids. Hello, friends. Are you tired of the boring sports analysis you get from the major outlets? If so, join the maestro and the conquistador for a riveting discussion of all sports topics on Sports Frenzy 2.0. Available on Spotify, Google, Apple, and wherever podcasts are available. Everybody, welcome back to Sports Frenzy 2.0, taping on the 15th of September, 2021. This will hit tomorrow morning on the 16th. I am the maestro, Kevin Crane, flying solo this week. Thanks for checking us out. We are on Google, Anchor, Spotify, Apple, Pocket Cast, Breaker, anywhere you will find your favorite, bestest podcasts. And don't forget to check out our Facebook page for our entire slate of football picks, our NASCAR picks each and every week. Leave us a message here on our homepage on Spotify and rate us. Give us your best possible rating, of course. I'll send you money, cashier's check, money order, whatever. Sure, just ask. All right. Heading on to college football. We had a big, big upset. Not necessarily in terms of of the rankings, but we have talked for weeks and weeks leading into this season about how everything seemed to be set in stone as it is every year with Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, Oklahoma, Georgia, four of those five are going to make the playoffs. Well, guess what? 
Georgia knocks off Clemson, and now Oregon steps up and beats Ohio State at the big house. So now things get interesting. Because now all of a sudden, Oregon puts themselves in prime position to make the playoffs. In a weak Pac-12, where we just saw USC get beat, where Washington doesn't look any good, Arizona State might be the second best team. Oregon, we we know this is a terrible thing to say. This is basically a jinx. Oregon's path to make the college football playoff Final Four is set in stone if they don't screw up. Now, let's look at Ohio State. Let's look at Notre Dame. Two of those teams we always think are perennial favorites to make it to the playoffs. Obviously, Ohio State getting beat at home, shot themselves in the foot big time. They plummet all the way down to ninth in the AP poll. Notre Dame struggles in their home opener against Toledo after struggling on the road against Florida State, who lost to Jacksonville State. I know, a lot of people don't like to play that game. Well, this team beat that team, beat this team, beat that team. So that means the team at the beginning of the chain is worse than the team at the end of the chain. Okay, we can play that game or not here, but this does tell me Notre Dame's got some issues. And it looks like it's defense. It really looks like it's defense. They drop by beating Toledo. They drop all the way down to 12th. And they've got Wisconsin coming up here in a couple weeks. They've got a run where I think they're they're playing five really solid, decent teams in six weeks. So we'll see. Notre Dame's going to need some help. Notre Dame's going to need a lot of help. Ohio State's going to need a lot of help. These teams ahead of them are going to have to lose and lose badly. This could be the year. All right? If Cincinnati wins out, Cincinnati could make the Final Four. Tell you right now, Alabama's going to be there. Alabama's going to be there, and I think Georgia's going to be there too. I don't know if I want to talk about my my beloved Miami Hurricanes. Two games in, I have watched a total of five minutes of this team. I didn't want to watch the bloodbath against Alabama, and I had a bad, bad feeling about the Appalachian State game, and I was right. 
They barely got by Appalachian State 25-23, and I'm not denigrating them. Appalachian State is a really good team, but Miami is supposed to be better. Other big teams that lost this past week. The Iowa-Iowa State showdown. Tell you what, kids, maybe Iowa's for real, too. They move up to number five in the AP poll as they beat up Iowa State, who was number nine last week. Number 14, USC. Number 15, Texas. Number 21, Utah. All lose. The USC loss was so disheartening for Trojan fans, alumni, and the people at the university that they decided to fire head coach Clay Helton two games in. Now, of course, rumors are swirling. Who wants to take the USC job? Who's going to be the next one to be set up to fail? Yes, I said that. College football is not easy to coach. Seriously. You take away Nick Saban. You take away Davo Swinney. Who have you got? The Conquistador went off a week or two ago about this. Jimbo Fisher's getting the second highest salary for a football head coach in the NCAA. What has he done? He's got one title at Florida State, and he left the program in shambles. I just mentioned they lost to Jacksonville State. Not even a D1 team. I know that's not what it is anymore, but basically they lost to a D2 school. Brian Kelly at Notre Dame is about ready to become the winningest head coach in Notre Dame football history. You kids realize he has not even sniffed a title. Yes, they've made the playoffs. Great. Good for them. And guess what happens? They get shellacked once they get there, when they get up with the big boys. It is not easy to coach college football. You got the recruiting. It's a, it's a year-round job, recruiting, coaching, following all the NCAA rules. Who would want the USC job? That program has been insignificant. I'm sorry, it has been insignificant for 20 years, if not longer. Seriously, you have to go back to Matt Leiner and Reggie Bush. Pete Carroll, to get to a point where they were actually significant. Maybe not 2015, but still a long, long time. And that's why all these these programs scramble to try to find the next great, big, young, awesome head coach. In 99 times out of 100, it fails miserably. 
Nick Saban will go down as the greatest head coach in college football history because of what he's done. And Dabo Swinney will be probably top 10 by the time he's done because they were able to pull it off. Saban at least had a resume when they brought him into Alabama. Dabble Swinney, just they found the right guy at the right time. That's what you got to do. I mean, Bill O'Brien, is Bill O'Brien going to fix USC? Come on. Give me a break. It is too hard to coach college football. This is why Jimbo Fisher got the money he got because if you're going to, Texas A&M's got to keep the fourth or fifth best head coach in college football, even though he's only going to win eight or nine games every year. That's how hard it is. Look at Miami. When was the last time we had a good head coach with the Hurricanes? Don't say Larry Coker. I know he won a title. Don't say Larry Coker. You pretty much got to go all the way back to Dennis Erickson. That's how hard it is. All right, let's look forward to this weekend's college football slate. We've got 10 games on the sports frenzy pick slate. So let's go through those real quick. If I didn't mention it last week, I'll mention it. I have been put under a microscope now by the other members of the panel. They said I was being too lax over the years in my picks. That's why you're not going to get Alabama, Florida on this slate because they said point spread's too big. That's why we didn't have Alabama, Miami. Point spread's too big. Everything that I get to pick now, dictated by the rest of the panel, must be under 10 points in terms of point spreads. So, UCF at Louisville. Right now, six of our seven of our eight panelists are in, all taking UCF. Michigan State at number 24, Miami of Florida. Boy, Miami's getting a lot of love in this game, and I don't see it. I don't see why. Michigan State looks like they might be back. I'm a Hurricanes fan. I'm taking the Spartans. Right now, our panel, the seven that have voted, are four and three in favor of Miami, but that's pretty close. Another tough one. Number 15, Vatek takes on West Virginia. Right now, we are 4-3 again in favor of Vatek. I'm going with West Virginia. This is a tough, tough call. For some reason, I just like West Virginia more at home. This is the rekindling of a, a rivalry we haven't seen in a while. Just something about West Virginia. I think they can score a little bit more. Defense is a little bit better. 
They're favored by three, which is surprising a lot of people. <sighs> Tough to pick an unranked team against a, a ranked team, but I'm going to do it. Number eight, Cincinnati at Indiana. Six of the seven panel members are taking Cincinnati. This might be the last time we see Indiana on our slate for a while, unless they show that last year was not a fluke. I said earlier, I don't think Cincinnati's a fluke. This could be the start of their run. If they win at Bloomington impressively, they could vault up a couple spots here and get themselves eventually into the top four. Nevada at Kansas State. Six of the seven panel members taking Kansas State. I am as well. Even though Nevada's favored right now by two. I just don't see how on the road I can take Nevada beating Kansas State, even though I don't think Kansas State, Kansas State is the be-all, end-all. Nevada's got a very impressive offense. Uh, Mississippi State at Memphis. I have got five Mississippi State to two Memphis right now. I'll take, oh, God, help me. I'll take the crazy pirate. I'll take Leach, even though it's on the road. And Memphis, like Nevada, one of those teams that really plays these 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 tough upper tier Power Five teams really well. I could see Mississippi State stumbling here. I really could. I'm taking them. They're favored by three as as we take this. But I could see Memphis winning this game. Number 22, Auburn at number 10, Penn State. Six out of seven taking Penn State. I mentioned at the beginning of the season how Penn State was a team I did not trust, even though I like James Franklin as a head coach. He's one of these guys that's rumored to possibly jump ship and head out to USC. I could see that. Yes, you wonder why why you leave a top 10 program. Money, more money. USC is going to give him much more money. I still think Penn State is still somehow kind of trying to recover from the whole Sandusky thing. Image-wise, recruiting-wise, that being said, Auburn, haven't seen enough of them to really – think anything other than their second tier SEC team. So I'll take the first tier big Big Ten team over the second tier SEC team, Penn State over Auburn. Tough game here. Oklahoma State at Boise State. I love Gundy. I used to oh my God, the mullet. The mullet was awesome. I don't think he's got it anymore. You can correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think he's got the mullet anymore. Um, this is a tough, tough game to pick right now. We are 5-2 in favor of Boise State. That's who I'm going with. 
It's a tough, tough call. Boise's at home on the blue field. Uh, Oklahoma State tends to lose games like this. Boise State hung tough with US UCF a couple weeks ago. So, reluctantly, I am going against the mullet. I'm going against Gundy, and I'm taking Boise State. Number 19, Arizona State at number 23, BYU. BYU has been the team I have been on the bandwagon for the whole year. I never understood why they weren't getting any love at the beginning of the season. I think there is a bump here, and you can look at Cincinnati. You can look at UCF, BYU. These teams that are going to be moving into the Big 12, they've got to feel powerful. They've got to feel confident. They have got to feel a ton better about their program. They've got to have that extra jolt of energy. That's why I think BYU is another team on the rise. We have got 4-3 split here, 4 BYU, 3 Arizona State. I'm going with BYU. As I mentioned earlier, Arizona State might be the second best team in the Pac-12, but again, the Pac-12 is weak again this year after we saw USC get beat up in week two. Finally, San Jose State going out to travel long ways, long distances across the ocean to play Hawaii, which is never a good sign. But I did my research. Our panel says 4-3 in favor of Hawaii. San Jose State has done this before. They have made this trip, and they have won, and they are the better team. That's why right now they're favored by 6.5 as we tape this. I'm taking San Jose State. So there you go, kids. There's your college recap. We did our pro recap. Let's do some miscellaneous sports news here, and then we'll save baseball and NASCAR for segment three. U.S. Open, the final major of the year in tennis. Some unbelievable storylines there. Emma Raducanu. I hope I said that right. I think I got it. Wins her first Grand Slam, her first major, because she was a qualifier. She was unseated. She had to win 10 matches in a row to win the U.S. Open. And this was the first match ever in a U.S. Open final where both women were unseated. So props to her. Great, great job for her. And on the men's side, similar type of history in terms of the first Grand Slam ever for Daniil Medvedev. As he keeps, the big news here is he keeps Novak Djokovic from creating history twice. If Djokovic had won this, he would have had a calendar Grand Slam for 2021, and he would have won his 21st Grand Slam title. 
but Medvedev blocks him from both of those milestones. I still think Djokovic is going to end up having the record for most career Grand Slams, and it's not going to be close. I don't know how much Nadal's got left in the tank. I think Federer's done, and those guys are all tied at 20. Djokovic has probably got another four or five in him. So by the time all is said and done, Djokovic will have the record for the most male Grand Slam titles. But he's not going to set the record this year. And he's not going to have the calendar Grand Slam, which would have been really impressive. The NBA, of course, has to give us something. I wanted to put this in with the Dumbass of the Week award. But I decided why not just talk about it here. Because this speaks to a a, a much bigger problem in our society. Okay, the NBA has come out and said that the players will not have to be vaccinated. There will be no mandate for the players to be vaccinated for the upcoming 2021-2022 season. Yet, referees and the vast majority of team personnel will be required, mandated, to be vaccinated against COVID-19. This is what's wrong with society. Make up your goddamn mind. You are showing everybody out there that the privileged and the entitled, again, don't have to play by the same rules as everybody else. Why don't the NBA players have to be vaccinated? Because they're rich and they're powerful and you kiss their ass. I'll say the same thing about baseball players. I'll say the same thing about football players. Now, football, at least, did a little backdoor deal where they said, okay, fine, you want to play this game, you're going to get hammered. You're going to destroy your team's chances of winning. You could actually put them up for forfeit if you don't get vaccinated. The NBA, no, we don't want to upset Kevin Durant. We don't want to upset LeBron James. We don't want to upset Damian Lillard. I will say it. I don't give a goddamn if it's politically incorrect or not. You let the inmates run the asylum, and this is what you get. Yeah, I said it, and I'll say it again. You let the inmates run the asylum. Adam Silver doesn't have balls. He must have left them in a goddamn cookie jar in his mommy's kitchen. David Stern wouldn't have put up with this crap if it meant the viability, the health of the league, 
the chance for fans to come see games. David Stern wouldn't have put up with this crap. And I'm not even a big David Stern fan, but goddamn, he was 10 times better than this Adam Silver idiot, this douchebag. He is the weakest of all four reigning kings of the major sports in America. He's he snowed everybody because ESPN has to act like he's a god. ESPN has to act like he's the greatest thing since sliced bread because they have invested so much money in the failing ratings. Nobody likes the NBA right now. Nobody gives a rat's ass. You just can't figure this out, can you, Adam Silver? You can't figure this out, ESPN. Nobody cares about the NBA because you've made it so that it's a non-competitive wash. Lakers, Nets, we all know it's preordained, foregone conclusion. Somehow last year we got through with the Bucks and the Suns. You know what? I don't care if the ratings suck. As a fan of sports, I thought it was great. I thought it was fantastic. I actually cared. The minute you start forcing LeBron and Davis on me versus Durant and Harden and Kyrie, I'm out. Why do I care who wins between those two? Douchebag city number one, douchebag city number two. Gee, who cares who wins? I don't. All right, kids, we'll be right back. Baseball, NASCAR, and I do have one more dumbass. Gee, if you've been listening over the last couple months, since NBA, you know, has been kind of out of season, you know who my dumbass has been over the last couple months on a regular basis, and guess what? She's back again. Stay tuned. You'll find out what she's done now. When your day of dealing with international intrigue is over and you've settled down in your Aston Martin, call up Sports Frenzy 2.0 on your phone or smart car stereo. Every Thursday, Kevin Dave will take your mind off the megalomaniac who just had a laser pointed at your genitals with the best sports criticism around. And don't forget to listen to the weekend edition every Saturday so you can plan out your entertainment options with the femme fatale of your choice. Grab a martini, shaken, not stirred, and check out Frenzy, Sports Frenzy 2.0. Hey everybody, welcome back to Sports Frenzy 2.0 taping on September the 15th. This will hit on the 16th of 2021, I'm the maestro Kevin Crane flying solo this week. The Conquistador Dave Height will join me again next week. Got NASCAR news for you. First off, we will look at the recap of Richmond playoff race number two. Martin Truex Jr. won. 
I don't want to get in too much detail. I mean, it was a good race, not a great race. Uh, I had Kyle Busch. He kind of messed up a couple times. That's been my fatal flaw in our sports frenzy, frenzy cup competition is Truex in week one, Kyle Busch in week two, both made mistakes on pit road that cost them precious stage points, which cost me. So I am basically in last place among our eight panelists right now. So I'm going to have to make up some ground here coming up with the, uh, Night race coming up this Saturday at Bristol. But first, big, big news with NASCAR. The 2022 schedule was released. Didn't think it was going to come out till next week, but it actually came out today. So, couple tweaks, couple changes. Uh, the season will start. We talked about this. Rumors were true. February the 6th, 2022, the season will kick off with an exhibition race at the L.A. Coliseum, the clash at the Coliseum. I'm just glad this is not a points race. I'm not a fan of racing out in California. Sorry. They got Fontana back after a year off. The Daytona road course is gone after one year. We'll see if it comes back at some point. But for 2022, we are not getting back-to-back races at the beginning of the season at Daytona. We're going Daytona and then back to Fontana again. Yay. Luckily, the rest of the road courses look like they're going to stay intact. Indianapolis is going to stay with the road course for another year, although rumors are now that they might alternate year by year, go oval, road course, oval, road course, but this year will be another road course race at Indianapolis. Of course, the big, big change is Pocono loses one of their races. They will not have a weekend doubleheader, which I kind of loved. I really liked it a lot. But between uh, 2019, you had the COVID situation where they had to double up. And then the Olympics, I'm sorry, 2020 was the COVID double up. And then 2021, this, this past season here, we're ending up, you know, finishing up right now. Because of the Olympics, they had to double up. So there will be no more of that nonsense. No more of that tomfoolery. Pocono is going to drop to one race. And Worldwide Technology, otherwise known as Gateway, will get a race for the first time on June the 5th. This is a track on the Missouri-Illinois line right outside of St. Louis. Everybody seems to be really stoked about it. We'll see. We'll see what happens with it. Um, There's other shuffling that's been in involved here, especially in the playoffs. Um, the playoff schedule is getting shuffled around a little bit. Not at the end, though. Phoenix will still hold the championship race. Homestead moves back in to the final 10. Richmond gets bumped out. 
Richmond doesn't lose a race, but now both Richmond races will go back to being regular season races. Homestead gets back in the playoffs. Richmond, two regular season races now instead of having one in the playoffs. Only one off week in the entire schedule in 2022, which I'm fine with. Of course, one of those weeks that's not an off week is the all-star race in Texas, which I consider an off week. But only one true off week that I saw on this 2022 schedule. Of course, NFL scheduling changes with their 18-week schedule now instead of 17 weeks has bumped the Super Bowl back. So basically what we're looking at now is the exhibition race, the clash at the Coliseum, will be the weekend before the Super Bowl. Then you get the Super Bowl. Then you start Daytona, the pageantry of Daytona. So that's all going to start a week later than normal. I think that's why you're seeing fewer off weeks, fewer bye weeks for NASCAR, which again is fine with me. So our picks for the Bass Pro Shops NRA Night Race at Bristol Motor Speedway coming up here on September the 18th, Saturday night. This is a tough pick for me, really tough pick. This could make or break me. I've got to make up some ground here. Seven of our eight picks are in. I am trying to avoid the issue that I mentioned earlier, where I need to find somebody who's going to get me stage points. I don't need a win. I need stage points. I need somebody who's going to get me 40, 45 points total for this race. So I had to go against what I would probably normally go with if it was a regular season race. It's probably going to come back and bite me in the ass. I'm going Joey Logano. He's starting third. The elder statesman's with me on this. I just, I need points. I need somebody who's going to get me points. I can't at this stage go for a dominant type of win. I need to save my best drivers for later on as they make an advance stage by stage and they get to the end. That's all I can hope for right now being in last place. Bill, Jen, and Aaron are all taking Kyle Bush. I think a good pick, but I wonder if he couldn't win last week when I really thought he was going to be angry and pissed off after what happened the first weekend of the playoffs. I don't know. Is he really going to be that much better this weekend? Are, are, he, are he and his team going to be able to avoid the mistakes that they have made so far? Now, Martin Truex's team did. They overcame the mistakes they made in week one. They came back and won in week two of the playoffs. Maybe Kyle Busch comes back in week three. 
If he does, I'm screwed. So basically, we're all rooting against Kyle Busch. And isn't that what all NASCAR fans really do? Now, here are the tricky picks. The Conquistador is taking Kevin Harvick. Normally, I would be on board with this. Harvick is usually a really good pick at Bristol. I just don't trust him with the way he's run this year. Stuart Haas has not impressed me this year. I don't know if I can really get on board with Harvick yet. Now, if Harvick wins or at least moves on through another stage or two, when we get to the, the, the last five or six races, then I consider taking him. That's how I'm looking at it. Nick's got the one that really troubles me. You have to take, in our competition, you got 10 races in the playoffs. You got to take 10 different drivers. I've got nine set up that I have faith in, that I have confidence in. The 10th one, I don't know where or when to take that person or who that person's going to be. This was supposed to be the race or maybe possibly I did that. And I was thinking about Kurt Busch, which is who Nick took. The juggler took Kurt Busch. I just worry about a couple things with him. And I have the same concerns with Brad Keselowski. These two guys are moving on to different teams next year. I wonder where where their allegiance lies, how hard they're going to really run for the owners that they're driving for right now, especially Kurt Busch, because Kurt Busch, Ganassi's done. I mean, Ganassi's shutting down once this season ends. Keselowski's leaving Penske. Uh, you got to believe he's got, you know, he's got respect for, for Penske. You know, he's moving on to Roush Fenway. But he has not looked good. I think Kurt Busch has looked better over the last couple months than Brad Keselowski has. So that's what makes this a really tough call for me is I'm going to go with Logano over Kurt Busch. Kurt Busch is starting, I think, 15th, where Logano's starting third. I just got to take the guy who's going to be up at the front of the pack on a short track like Bristol. I have not had a lot of luck with Logano lately, so this is going to set me on pins and needles. But most of the bad luck I've had with Logano has been on super speedways, so we'll see how he does on a short track where he has won before. All right, moving on to baseball. Not much to talk about with the teams we like. Um, Dave's White Sox are 83 and 61 as we tape this. They've pretty much locked up the AL Central. Um, the big question is, are they going to be able to jump up to the number two seed? They probably won't be able to catch Tampa for the number one seed. 
they are one game behind the Astros for that second seed. That is a big deal, kids. That is a big, big deal. So we got about two and a half weeks left. We'll see how that all plays out. Max Scherzer gets his 3,000 strikeout with the Dodgers. He looks like he is rejuvenated. Now, having moved over from the East Coast to the West Coast, he looks like he could actually sneak in and win the NL Cy Young Award again. I love Max Scherzer. I wanted him instead of John Lester with the Cubs. You can say all you want about John Lester, and he was reliable. He was an iron horse. We got the one ring. You can never, you never want to say, if only. You know, I sit there and do that all the time with Jason Hayward. Well, supposedly he gave this magnificent speech in the rain delay in game seven. And if he did, then of course he's worth every penny, even if on the field he's a joke. Same thing with John Lester. I was never a huge fan of John Lester. He was a decent, solid pitcher, never overwhelming, never dominant. And we had a chance if we'd thrown money at Max Scherzer, we could have had him at the same time that John Lester was on the market. And I'm on record. I know I'm on record saying I wanted Scherzer. And it worked out well for him, too. He got his ring with the Nationals. And now he's on a very good, very solid track to win not only the Cy Young, but to get another ring with the Dodgers. Max Scherzer is going to go down as the best pitcher of the last 30 years. He is. You can't, you cannot dispute it. I don't see how you can say anybody from the 90s on to today was better. Verlander, no. I like Verlander. He's a Hall of Famer, but he's not better. Garrett Cole, maybe someday, possibly. But sorry, he's the man. Max Scherzer is the man. I still want to know how the Dodgers can afford all this crap. Because now... Word comes out, Trevor Bauer with his mess, his legal issues, he's done. He's been suspended for the year. I want to know, how does he count against the cap? Does he not count against the cap? I've, I've got to believe that contract gets wiped off the books in order for them to afford Scherzer. Kershaw, Scherzer, Bauer on the same team, three pitchers, not counting position players, not counting Mookie Betts, Albert Pujols, Cody Bellinger. How the hell are the Dodgers able to do this? Fit this team under the luxury tax threshold. I don't see how. 
Somebody needs to explain it to me. Feel free to leave a message if you know how and why they can do this. I'm sure Washington's somehow Washington, just like the Cubs, got suckered into play, into paying all of Anthony Rizzo's contract for the Yankees. Somehow the Nationals got suckered into paying Scherzer's entire contract. What about Trey Turner's contract? Who's paying that? That was still one of the most ridiculously stupid trades I've seen in ages. The Nationals just bail. The Cubs bailed. Hell, the Nationals look worse. The Nationals gave up Trey Turner and Max Scherzer to the NL's arch nemesis, the Dodgers. And I guarantee somehow, some way they had to have paid the vast majority of the contract for Scherzer, if not for both. We had our record-setting ninth no-hitter. You knew it was coming. Odds were in favor of it. The Brewers get a combined no-hitter. Cleveland gets no-hit for the third time this season. Nine no-hitters, three of them against Cleveland. And Zach Plesak, you want to talk about a guy getting no run support. Zach Plesak was a starting pitcher in all three games for Cleveland. The guy's a pretty good pitcher. He doesn't deserve this. Cleveland's one of those teams. They're floating in that, that middle nether region. Are they, are they going to try to be contenders? Are they going to spend money or are they not? They let Francisco Lindor go. Right now, that looks like a brilliant move. They've got a great manager if he comes back based on health in Terry Francona. But are, what are they going to do? They're like the Cubs. What are you going to do? These middle-tier teams, what are you going to do? You're not the Pirates. You're not the Diamondbacks, you're not the Orioles, but you're not the Yankees, you're not the Dodgers. Figure out what you're going to do. You're going to spend money or you're not going to spend money? Or are you going to wallow in mediocrity and hope that your fans stick with you? All right, Derek Jeter went into the Hall of Fame last week. I know there were a couple other guys. I think Ted Simmons went in as well. Um, they were trying to combine two classes, but one of the classes didn't even exist. And that's kind of, I, I kind of admire that. I, I admire that with baseball in that if, if they don't see anybody worthy, they're not just going to force somebody in like the NFL does. So even though this was two classes getting inducted into the Hall of Fame last week, only only one class had actual inductees. Derek Jeter, of course, being the big name. Is he a Hall of Famer? Yes. 
Do I think he's an all-time great? No. No. Not even close. He's getting his ass polished and buffed and waxed because he's a Yankee. I'm sorry. That's why. Same thing we went through with Mariano Rivera. Oh, greatest reliever of all time. Why? Because he's a Yankee. I think Mariano Rivera's got a better argument as an all-time great than Derek Jeter does. And, of course, Derek Jeter's got to make a snide comment about the one guy who didn't vote for him. That's another issue for another day. I think we've talked about it in the past. These idiot writers who uh, just vote him in. Even though I'm sitting here making a case against him, I'm voting him in. He's a Hall of Famer. These bitter, bitter jackass writers who don't who don't vote guys like Derek Jeter and who are clear-cut Hall of Famers, they're assholes. Because, oh, so-and-so didn't get on the first ballot. This person didn't get in unanimously. Give me a break. Okay, we got to get over that. The Red Sox struggling now. They're fighting with the Yankees, with the Blue Jays. Two of those three teams are probably going to end up being the two wildcard teams. Took a big hit, the Red Sox did, with Chris Sale getting nailed with a positive COVID-19 test. He had just come back and was dominant for about three weeks. We'll see how this all plays out. Seattle still out there on the fringes trying to fight their way in. Toronto has been on fire lately. I don't think you want to face that team in the playoffs. That lineup is unbelievable, especially now George Springer back and healthy. Vlad Guerrero Jr., Marcus Simeon. Oh, my God, a career unbelievable year for Marcus Simeon. Bo Bichette. And this is Craig Craig Biggio's kid who was supposed to be a, a big part of this, hasn't even really contributed. Kevin Biggio, I mean, the the Toronto Blue Jays need a little bit more pitching and watch out for the next five years. Watch out if they can keep these kids. And finally, before we get to my dumbass of the week, we could actually include this guy. Why don't we? Let's move on. Let's shift to the Red Foreman Dumbasses of the Week. This guy announced his retirement from Major League Baseball this week. Former MVP, Ryan Braun. Ryan fucking Braun. I don't hate him because he was a pain in the ass for the Cubs for years and years. I hate him for destroying another human being's life. I hate him for lying, throwing that FedEx driver, that FedEx delivery guy years ago under the bus as he lied about whether or not he received a shipment 
of growth hormone or steroids or whatever the hell it was. Painted this guy out to be a liar. Tried to destroy his life, his career, to protect his cheating ass. Ryan Braun is one of those people that I can't stand and I can't despise. Ryan Braun is one of those people that if I had that airplane I've talked about that Dave gets mad about where he says they're going to send the black helicopters after me. Ryan Braun is one of those people I would put on that airplane if I had like 12 seats to fill, he'd get one of those 12. Where I'd send that plane up send it way out in the Pacific and have it drop straight down into the ocean. That's how much I hate people like him and I hate his guts. You don't get to destroy other people's lives because you're a cheater and you're a liar. And there better not be one goddamn motherfucking person who votes for you for the Hall of Fame. I'll be more upset about that than I am about the one guy who didn't vote in Derek Jeter. Finally, her weekly appearance as a dumbass. I thought we'd get through without her. I thought this would be a week where, hey, LeBron James, he's been pretty quiet the last couple months, so, you know, Naomi Osaka has been taking over. But maybe this week, you know, we don't have moments of silence. I'm sorry I didn't mention that. I don't have any sports moments of silence, which is always a good thing. But we always have dumbasses. And I thought, hey, we might get through this week without Naomi Osaka Proving to the world what a hypocrite she is. And what happens this morning? What happens this morning while I'm watching my favorite morning sports show? But I get a brand new Naomi Osaka GoDaddy commercial. Poor, tortured Naomi Osaka. I've said this, and I'll say it again. I am all for everybody, anybody having affordable mental health care access. You should be able to go see a psychologist with a minimal copay once a week to talk about your problems, to talk about anything, especially in this day and age of the vitriol that spewed on social media, I am all for that. She is not who you think she is. She is not the poster child for mental health awareness. And again, she proves it. If you don't want to be in the public spotlight, get out of the public spotlight. Yet every time you cry after a tennis match, saying you can't handle the pressure, saying you want to take a break, you show up in a commercial.
Prove to me, prove to all of us that you're sincere. Drop off the face of the earth for a year and get your head straight. Otherwise, you're a hypocrite. You're just playing us all. You are just, and I've said it and I'll say it and I'll say it until she proves me otherwise. She is playing us all like a stack of goddamn cards. Every time she comes out with a breakdown, with a mental moment, she ends up doing something that negates any kind of sympathy that we should or would give her. Stop playing into her game. That's it for Sports Frenzy 2.0 for this week. I am the maestro Kevin Crane. Thanks for checking me out solo. Next week, the Conquistador will return. You guys have a great week. We'll see you next week.